0: um all right is the audio good can you hear it Some said it's off but it looks like it's back yeah been reading your book interesting stuff well thanks which one <laughs> which one has it's quite a few a few books like the um metabolic at book is gonna have like a second year anniversary in february like the first few weeks of february and uh yeah it's uh essentially I think still pretty relevant or up to date uh, in terms of the research we currently have about autophagy and dinner fasting so I haven't I haven't changed my mind about it um, almost at all like uh last year I did do like an update into it where I kind of g- went through some of the uh, research um, but uh, this year I haven't seen like any additional research that would like you know change um, change a lot of the um claims in that and the recommendations so it's, it's actually was something that i'm doing still the kind of the metabolic you kind of routine or the protocol so the uh, main idea is behind it is to kind of um, like on a daily basis and on a, like a annual basis to kind of maximize the benefits of this time received eating as well as um also uh, do resistance training and uh, eat a diet that facilitates like muscle growth and strength gains. So you don't want to become like frail and uh, lose your muscle because of doing intermittent fasting, because that's actually a bad thing for longevity and anti-aging uh, because muscle is very beneficial and useful for aging and uh, also just metabolic health and uh, body composition. So you do need muscle and for muscle, you need to essentially lift, lift heavy weights and uh, eat a, a, a higher protein diet. So that's kind of you, that's why the um, some research in um, like longevity and lifespan kind of finds that the high protein diets shorten lifespan. But uh, that's uh, that's why you do it with uh, intermittent fasting and time restricted eating. So you don't want to be spending an entire day in this high protein fed state, and uh, doing the, the confining your eating window and confining your protein intake in a smaller time frame with like either one meal a day or sixteen and eight. You kind of uh, b- sidestep that and uh, you avoid the consequences of you know high protein uh, boron and borax questions is it good to digest well bor- boron uh, is a um, like a sen- not not an essential nutrient but it is a nutrient with um, quite important roles in the body and like you know it helps with testosterone and also like kind of prolongs the half-life of vitamin d so it is you know very useful to a certain extent it's not like not considered like an essential nutrient although it might be revised in the future uh, but you get boron it's very hard to become boron deficient unless you eat like a very processed food diet so you get boron from primarily like you know plant foods different kinds of um these you know you know fibers and vegetables uh, legumes lentils as well as some like you know animal foods uh, but most more is more often in uh, plant foods mm, borax uh, borax is a like a different kind of thing uh, It's like a detergent used for that uh yeah you wouldn't want to be <laughs> taking like a chemical borax but uh yeah getting adequate amounts of boron from a diet is a good we actually have a, a chapter about boron in, my, in uh, the upcoming book that I'm writing with uh, dr. James dr Antonio and we do talk about it um, quite quite a lot especially like an entire chapter about it so yeah you can you can look forward for, for that it's gonna come out maybe like in a few months or something it's uh, you know that's what I've been doing <laughs> the entire time this uh, past few months uh, writing uh, the next book and it's kind of t- takes a lot of uh, just uh, resources and time for just focusing on that but it's a really good book it's a really comprehensive one it's gonna be it's gonna be at least like 600 pages at least 600 700, 700 pages and we're gonna cover, cover all the minerals uh, all the essential minerals all the trace minerals and all the like um, you know semi-essential minerals that aren't essential but you do need them and yeah the chip chapter by chapter all the research how much you need um what's the role of the mineral and uh, how does it interact with the other ones and you know what are the ratios so to really interesting book and kind of really eye-opening uh, what are your thoughts on lion's mane I just took some for the first time today I've heard lots of good stuff <laughs> well lion's mane is a it's yeah, like an adaptogenic mushroom and I do take it myself as well uh, lion's mane um, and you know the reported benefits uh, of it. Mostly, have, like the biggest benefit of it, has to do with neurogenesis. So it helps with like the brain, uh, cognition helps with brain neuroplasticity and that sort of thing. Um, I would imagine that it also helps with uh, like maybe traumas or something. Although I'm not, I'm not sure. I haven't um, fully looked into that. Uh, but it does help with uh, like cognition or uh, brain performance and uh, what i do is uh, i take it uh, you know in the morning with not in the morning but in the afternoon when i drink some coffee so i just mix it into my coffee and it's a really good thing it it all these medicinal mushrooms tend to also have like a beneficial effect on um, like lipids it helps with the, like triglycerides and also helps with kind of stimulating some autophagy so uh, these different mushrooms uh, reishi chaga they tend to have like a similar um, benefits on the uh, lipids mm. Uh, I also noticed like um, I did like a different kind of a protocol um, a few months ago last year where it was like microdosing with uh, lion's mane with also psilocybin in there which is the Paul Stamets um, neurogenesis protocols or something. I did it for a month and I did notice like a little bit of a little bit of like a better maybe focus or um, yeah like just better brain performance during daytime when I did it. But I haven't lost it after after I stopped taking it, so maybe it was kind of a permanent. How about drinking beer? Maybe a light beer, not too many. <laughs> well, uh, well, like let's say the most most of the commercial beers, um, you know, pasteurized beers, and uh, they tend to not have a, they don't have like any of the beneficial compounds that you may get from like the grains uh, or the hops. They're mostly just. Uh, Alcohol and uh, you know sugar and that sort of thing. So they tend to not have any real benefits. But if you were to do like your, your traditional beer, you ferment it yourself, then you may get like a, yeah, like an actual uh, beneficial effect. Um, you know, some it has like some ferulic acid, if I'm not mistaken, which has like immune system boosting benefits a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it's so all all in them in dose. So if you take too much alcohol, too much beer, anything. Then you definitely will see some bad negative effects on like visceral visceral fat accumulation. You get estrogen dominance. Uh, you get you know easier fat gain, uh, worse lipids probably, and that's that sort of thing, and fatty fatty liver. So yeah, the most m- most beers are you know the ones you get get from the store is probably not good, and especially like the ciders or those things, long drinks, sugary things um does eating fat make you fat <laughs> well it depends on the how much fat you eat so like you know it's a, it's a matter of calories still like the most important thing for weight loss is still like calories how much calories you eat like regardless of where the, the calories are coming from if it's coming from fat or carbs you can lose weight on a high fat diet you can lose weight on a high carb diet uh it doesn't you know it depends on the overall calorie intake Uh, But you do need like a certain amount of fat if there's nothing inherently like fat hanging out fat besides the calorie load, so um, You know you can eat a safe amount of fat uh, without you know gaining fat for sure and you don't need to be on a low fat diet uh, to lose fat and in fact in fact it may be you know slightly harder sometimes if you're like become like a uh, deficient in fat, essential fatty acids, then you maybe get some nutrient deficiencies, or you know, you're like experiencing these cravings or you're not satiated from a food because fat is very satiating and it can help you to like sustain a diet uh, more easily because you know, the the food will taste better and uh, kind of fills you up uh, faster. Uh, having trouble sleeping on carnivore a month, just got through COVID two weeks ago. I believe when incorporating carbs, my sleep improved, any suggestions? Uh, Well, yeah, like uh, carbs have a pretty beneficial effect on sleep and relaxation, so uh, um, it helps helps to produce like uh, the sleep hormones and helps to get serotonin in the brain. Uh, Whereas if you're like low, low, like insulin, insulin helps to deliver the serotonin into the brain where it gets gets converted into melatonin and likewise carbs also can make you like relaxed just drowsy like that's that's the what that's the good thing about carbs if you eat them like in the evening then you actually feel drowsy and tired and prepare for sleep compared to maybe if you eat them in the afternoon or the morning then you're gonna crash and want to fall asleep uh, there so uh i do believe like a cyclical uh, low carb keto diet is a uh, better in terms of just metabolic flexibility as well as yeah like you said sleep so if you may if you may do like keto for too long or, you know, zero carb carnivore for too long, then you may get like some sleep, sleep problems. And uh, yeah, like uh, maybe, maybe like even just, just because you're like, um, you know, running on adrenaline almost all the time, that can also kind of keep you in the state uh, of not, 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 not falling asleep. Da-da-da. Thank you for everything you do. I'm from Alberta, Canada. What method do you use to monitor your ketosis level? Uh, well, uh, uh, when when I would measure it, the, the most accurate one is, uh, in my opinion, still like the blood ketone meter, just with the like uh, keto mojo or um, some something like that. Uh, that's generally the best accurate for knowing your blood ketones. Uh, there's also these uh, breathalyzers, um, ketone breath meters. Uh, they tend to have like more, you know, uh, vari- variable results, so they're not always accurate, and they can be affected by many things. Uh, but generally the blood ketones tend to be the most accurate ones to do seem do you swim under the ice <laughs> well uh no no I think it's uh, pretty dangerous I wouldn't do it like it's a uh, there's no like I uh, I don't have like this um, like a Wim Hof uh, type of um, mentality or a Wim Hof uh, uh, pursuit where I want to like do some crazy feats in terms of the cold or something like I would sit in an ice bath or I would sit in an ice hole uh, But I wouldn't like swim under it because you know you can very really easily just cramp or um, you get frozen mm. Do you think CMOS would break a fast? <laughs> well, uh, I think uh, CMOS uh, is it has like maybe a little bit of calories but most of it isn't like fully absorbed because it's you know fiber and that other sort of thing and it's like not the vegetable type of fiber it's slightly different i think um so yeah it would like it would break a fast in the kind of short term but it doesn't really matter that much either like you don't really absorb that many calories from it mm. and uh, yeah depends on how much you're eating if you take like just a I don't know, a tablespoon, just one tablespoon of something like, even like not sea moss, but maybe, you know, kelp or uh, nori or something, then it you get some iodine from it, which is good for the thyroid and c- can be beneficial for, you know, when you're fasting. Um, but yeah, like I, I would maybe just eat it in the eating window if you're like worried about the thyroid function. We have a super chat uh, on from space ninety nine yak <laughs> thoughts on the carnivore diet. Uh, yeah, like well, like I said, uh, you know, it can be good for some people. Do you need to do it to stay healthy? Uh, no, no, you don't. Um, like most most people who like the most healthiest people in the world, they're not fully carnivore, and they're not fully vegan either. They're you know omnivores. Uh, can you be healthy doing a carnivore diet? Uh, you could probably um you as long as you you know probably have to eat this nose to tail approach where you incorporate organ meats uh because you know high muscle meat diet is you know probably will lead to like iron overload and copper deficiency uh so yeah do you need to do it in the long term or should you do it in long term i probably wouldn't recommend to do it in the long term because um yeah, like you may develop actually some food sensitivities towards uh, you know like the easiest even the like the health like regular e- easiest foods you will develop some um, intolerances towards and uh, yeah it's also like a lot of people say that they crash after they come off of it like or not crash but you know they eat carnivore strict and then they eat like like some carbs or breads or something then they get like this really really bad rebound or like they <laughs> they actually feel worse uh after that because of uh, being so strict beforehand. So yeah, that's what what I think like, you you can definitely uh, do it in some ways or maybe like in the short term to kind of um, eliminate some uh, potential um, things that you're sensitive to, but uh, I wouldn't do it in the long term. Or like, you know, at least you shouldn't feel the obligation or you shouldn't be thinking that it is something that you need to do to stay healthy because you don't, like you can stay healthy even on a, completely uh, regular omnivore diet and yeah achieve like optimal body composition, optimal health from that. So sometimes you may feel the need that you need to do it on any kind of diet um, that you that you. Some people are just very persuasive in ter- in terms of telling you that oh you need to do my diet <laughs> in order to be healthy because of these these reasons. Uh, but um, it's always nuanced and it's never um, one size th- one size fits all solution. Um, are you familiar with Andrew Huberman and his work on recovering lost sleep with yoga nidra? Um, I have heard of yoga nidra, yeah, for sure, and I've actually done it as well. Um, so yoga nidra is just uh, like the some sort of like guided meditation. I uh, think uh, where you're kind of focusing on like, like body scan you're focusing on different parts of the body and I used it in the um, Like a few years ago. I used it on a regular basis and it does really rejuvenate you pretty fast So you get you get like more sleep from a less amount of sleep uh, So like when I would take like a 20-minute yoga and nap I would feel like I had slept like an hour or something and yeah, it's pretty re- awesome. It's not it doesn't put you to sleep completely but it kind of keeps you in this uh, semi, semi, semi wakeful uh, state. Any th- any thoughts uh, or research on IF prior or during radiation treatment for lymphoma? Um, well, um, there are like some uh, rat studies that uh, fasting before getting um, chemotherapy or radiation uh, like it reduces the negative side effects from that. Uh, so essentially, what happens when you're fasting is you know the body upregulates all these antioxidant defense systems like glutathione and NRF two and autophagy even, uh, which will then kind of um, protect against the damage you get from radiation because radiation itself also upregulates these defense systems, uh, like it also turns on autophagy a little bit, and uh, which isn't which isn't uh, like. Good if it's in excess, like if it's chronically, then it's of course bad. But you know the the body responds to these things by turning on its defense systems, and um, some research does show that uh, you know uh, fasting or even like maybe heat shocking or something um, before the uh, exposure to radiation has like a less negative effects and they get like um, better outcomes in total. What I personally do is like. And that's why I like to fast if I'm like uh, on an airplane uh, because uh, because of the same reason the fasting is going to kind of protect against the radiation you are in when you're in the in the airplane and you're flying uh, so yeah but uh, I wouldn't like uh, <laughs> I wouldn't like uh, disregard the traditional methods either like there's a you know the those ones are currently being used and uh, you kind of have have to find a way to kind of maybe you know definitely consult with your doctor and uh, but there's no like real you know harm harm if you do some intermittent fasting before the treatment as long as you're doing the treatment and not not and uh, not doing it. All right, we have another super chat from LED. Hi man, what's the best fasting routine to become more intelligent in your opinion? Do you think long fasts can be beneficial as they're said to stimulate brainstem brain stem cells what else can be done Um, well uh, the best fasting routine uh, for intelligence (laughs) well it's a hard hard thing because you know you can fast all the time and not become more intelligent because uh, I think uh, fasting is just going to help to uh, facilitate like the growth of your, you know, brain and um, like your intelligence. So you need to do something with it as well. Fasting is just going to make it easier slightly. You're able to maybe focus better. You'll have uh, less cravings. Uh, you'll have better concentration maybe. And, uh, and uh, that sort of thing. So it's just kind of maybe like a, and it does, you know, have some growth factors for the brain like BDNF and uh, neurogenesis. So it's a more like a fertilizer for the brain. But you still need to like plant the seeds, which would be like actually studying something or you know reading and educating yourself. So you have to do both. But what's the best routine for that? I think uh, fasting for too long, it's also like a double-edged sword. If you fast for too long, then it's you will actually start to lose your focus and uh, it's harder to um, do something because uh, you you get hungry or you get hangry when you get cranky, uh, you get the cravings. So um, what I have found maybe like. Um, uh, doing like a 16 hour type of fast is a good kind of uh, balance for that. You fast for at least like 16 hours and uh, eat maybe two meals a day. And you know, what matters what you do with a meal as well is important. So um, uh, if you eat like a high carb meal, then you probably may have like some more troubles concentrating. And if you like, you know, spike your blood sugar all the time. Uh, so, so that's why if you eat the first meal that you break your fast with is a low carb keto meal, then uh it's easier to maintain that fasted state you and actually get the zone you are in the zone for longer because um, you know the ketones and the fats they keep keep your blood sugar stable and prevent you from crashing so um yeah even if you're doing even if you're not doing uh intermittent fasting per se you can achieve a similar effect by doing this um ketosis or uh you know keeping your carbs low for the first half of the day so I hope that answered your question. Like the long fasts, what I found is that like if you do like a th- three or two day fast, they can definitely be good uh, every once in a while, but only like yeah, like a few times a year. Something uh, is when we're talking about the, the brain and uh, intelligence in terms. Because like stress is bad for the brain and uh, stress, you know, breaks down the brain physically and, you know, damages brains, brain cells. So it's a, ma- it's a matter of balance. On a daily basis, the 16 and 8 is good. Uh, one meal a day is hard if you're not used to it, uh, but you, if you do like let's say the bulletproof fast if you have like some fatty, fatty coffee or something in the morning and then you fast then you probably can get get, um, get away with it and it, you can probably do it with that because of uh, the fast like I said it's gonna the fats are gonna keep you in ketosis another super jet. have you done any research on uh, from space 99 yak again have you done any research on biofilms um yeah like a little bit uh so the you know biofilms essentially like you know these like protective layers of bacteria that develop in response to like any stress or they build when they're being under the siege <laughs> uh well yeah and uh, these biofilms are hard to you know get a, go to break break down um uh, these different antibacterial natural antibacterial things like um can do it like you know these fibers polyphenols tend to do it uh some specific ones uh i think that tend to be really like good ones for that are like cranberry uh, cranberries and uh, these dark polyphenol dark pigment uh, berries tend to be good for that and um yeah there's some interesting research about um, like cranberry powder as well being good for um like fatty liver and uh, that sort of thing like preventing uh, Like the, preventing uh, high triglycerides and that sort of thing. So I would I would I would uh, do that like these different uh, dark dark uh, polyphenols um, Another superjet from uh, sarah sapien who says hi simmers and uh, she says any thoughts on the scandemic <laughs> uh, Scandemic, sorry <laughs> uh well uh, i think uh you know the it's it's you know real it's definitely there is uh something uh, virus out there people are getting infected well how big are the numbers um, they may be like inflated or they may not be a- accurate because of uh you know, um, miscategorizing people or something. Um, how dangerous is it? You know, the, so far the uh, current research does show that, you know, a lot of like the vast majority of people, like 99% of people are going to be fine. And most of the people that are affected are very old. Um, even like, you know, in the seventies, eighties, uh, or they have like these uh, comorbidities, uh, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, uh, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, those sort of things. So, um, and, you know, I, I, what I've noticed over the past few uh, weeks and months is that there's like a lot of people who have actually gotten it. And like most people know someone who has gotten it and has recovered. So I think that you just need to, you know, take care of your health and um, especially in terms of um, metabolic health and sleep and uh, exercise and that sort of thing. Because those are the kind of the biggest fundamentals to your uh, immune system function and health. Like nut- Nutrient deficiencies are important, like vitamin D. Uh, zinc, um, selenium, and uh, vitamin C to a certain extent. So those are the important ones. Magnesium, and you know definitely you can check out uh, the Immunity Fix with uh, Dr. James De Nicolantonia, which we wrote, which is kind of covers all the fundamentals of the immune system and um, what do you need to uh, make it work and um, increase your like uh, resiliency against those things. In terms of like the other factors, like. Um, the economy, o- economy and things, <laughs> I would say that it's uh, the lockdowns and things are tend to appear to be worse than the you know virus itself or something that people are going to suffer more from the lockdowns. And it's especially like the economy, I think people are going to suffer from more from that uh, than uh, the a- actual virus. And yeah, it's a it's a pretty bad situation. And yeah, I, w- I, I think hopefully we wouldn't like. Um, start to keep people locked down for too long and we start to actually, you know, uh, realize that we can't do it forever. <laughs> and there's gonna be a huge, huge um, pain down the road if we uh, keep keep going like we are at the moment. And peop- there's definitely people taking advantage of it, um, like big powers trying to get more power for themselves or um, push certain agendas or yeah, something, but yeah. That's a bit conspiratorial <laughs> that we wouldn't want to talk about at the moment. Um, Sarah ninety nine yaks another super chat and she asks C sixty longevity booster or not uh, C sixty um, carbon sixty or Bucky buckyballs <laughs> is uh, this uh, sort of a uh, uh, yeah like a um, they it's a you, it's mixed together with some different kinds of fats, like olive oil or um, MCT oil, and it has doesn't really have that much research about it. And it does in one like uh, rat study, it, it kind of extended lifespan uh, quite a lot, and, and I think it was the most um, most longest documented extension in lifespan um, ever seen in any any study. Uh, but um, again, it's, it's just one study at the moment, and there's no like human research about it. Uh, I ha- I do have used it. I actually did a podcast with one of the um, uh, one of the people who is kind of uh, manufacturing it for the public. Uh, My Vital C is the product that I used, and um, it it is supposed to be like a very powerful antioxidant and like a free radical scavenger, and it does also protect protect against uh, lipid peroxidation and that sort of thing. Mm, but uh, I haven't like noticed any like. Uh, Huge, like promising research about it. Of course, it's you know interesting, but um, we just have don't have that much um, research about it yet. So who knows what's gonna happen in the next uh, few years? Do do do. Let's carry on. The best time to start eating if you're doing sixteen and eight intermittent fasting. Yeah. Uh, well. Usually, people who do intermittent fasting sixteen and eight, they tend to just skip breakfast and uh, they start eating at like twelve or eleven a.m. something. Uh, I think that's a really fairly reasonable time to break the fast if you're doing uh, sixteen and eight. So um, generally, uh, the kind of main main difference is that the, do you want to skip breakfast or do you want to skip dinner? Uh, well, the research doesn't find, or the research finds that there is no real difference between them. As in, as, at least in terms of like blood sugar and um, metabolic health. So it doesn't matter when you break the fast, generally, uh, as long as you're um, eating within that 8-hour window and you're not like eating immediately before bed or you're like eating in the middle of the night. So what I think, what, when I did, when I would do 16 and 8, I would just eat at noon. I would eat like uh, at 12 or something and I would eat, I would finish the second meal at 8 in the evening. That's what I think is a fairly, fairly reasonable one because you don't want to be like, you don't want to be starting to eat uh, immediately after waking up uh, because you do need like the small kind of rise in your cortisol to wake you up and, uh, you know, eating does uh, lower the cortisol, but uh, that not, may not necessarily be the good thing. So actually it's it's not, it's not like bad to eat either in the, in the morning, but it's just that you're missing out on the potential health benefits of the cortisol and the, like potential. Uh, fat oxidation benefits of the cortisol. So uh, what I would so generally I would recommend you just wait uh, like 2 to 3 hours after waking up before you eat and uh, 2 to 3 hours you stop eating before going to bed. That would be like the 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 time frame for like the regular people <laughs> who aren't doing, you know, fasting. Uh, building muscles on 16:8 is is it legit? Uh, yeah, it's, it is. It's um uh, it's a uh, very easy in terms of uh, that, it's it's not it doesn't impose any real hard restrictions on your uh, potential to build muscle. You get you get to uh, eat you know two to three times uh, within that eight hour window, and you kind of stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Of course, it's not uh, it may not be as anabolic as eating six times a day, but um, it's still uh, possible. And there are research that uh, they compare one one um, group of people who are doing sixteen and eight. And the other one who is doing the regular diet and both of them build muscle and strength but the 16 and 8 group also lost a little bit more fat and uh, they had less inflammation because of the fasting so yeah it's it's possible uh, and there are like quite quite a lot of people who have done 16 to build muscle um on social media as well so yeah it's a, it's a fairly like popular popular um protocol Uh, any tips how to lower triglycerides before your blood test? Uh, well, triglycerides tend to rise because your body isn't burning them for fuel. So if you're like burning fats for fuel or you're burning ketones, uh, you're in ketosis, then you you tend to see a reduction in triglycerides because you're uh, you're mostly burning them for fuel. Uh, whereas if you eat like a bunch of carbs, especially like fructose and things, then uh, that tends to raise your triglycerides because um, the body is burning the carbs and the sugars, uh, the, the glucose, instead of the fat. Uh, so yeah, that was one of the videos that I did also like last, not last year, but the year before that uh, where like the uh, the Game Changers documentary had like the cloudy blood scene uh, so the, you know, the people ate just this burrito with fats and carbs together and uh, of course your uh, triglycerides do rise after you eat fat um, after a meal because, you know, it makes sense. You're, you just ate the fat and um, before because you ate also the burrito, uh, your body's processing the carbs initially, you know, the, the priority for the body is to first burn the carbs and the sugar before it starts to burn the fat. So that's why the triglycerides will rise if you eat like carbs together with fats. Uh, and on the other hand, if you eat uh, fats with a low carb meal, then you may see also like the triglycerides rise after the meal because you just ate the fat, but that tends to lower uh, faster because your body is just burning the, burning them for fuel. Uh, but for the blood tests to lower your triglycerides, yeah, like you just what I've you know noticed um, from my own experience and other people uh, is that yeah, eating low carb, being very kind of in ketosis tends to be good for that. And uh, yeah, just exercise as well is a good thing for that. Regular exercise. Tell us about your movie. When will it be released? Um, well, it's uh, it is uh, almost done. Basically, we've done all the filming. It's now it's just being edited, and um, yeah, it's uh, gonna be probably later this year. I don't know exactly the date yet, uh, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's uh, hopefully hopefully by the summer at least for that. But it's really interesting and very. Uh, Exciting. It's it's not a boring movie. It's not a boring documentary where people are just talking. It's a uh, it's quite a lot of uh, cool action scenes and uh, good images <clears throat> All right um, Can you achieve the same benefits in sauna while in jacuzzi would it just take longer? Uh, well uh, theoretically yes to a certain extent uh, because uh, your body temperature does rise when you are in the jacuzzi or the hot tub, it's just that maybe because you you, you won't be getting that hot um, when you're in the jacuzzi compared to the sauna. Uh, but um, yeah, maybe if you do, if you take it for longer, then you eventually just get the same benefits. I think so. Because like uh, it doesn't. It doesn't matter that you, the the more heat, the more heat you get exposed to, the more benefits you get. <laughs> that doesn't really work, because that didn't work out really well with the uh, sauna, sauna world championships. So. Uh, can you consume plain sugar on keto as long as you keep it under fifty grams limit, or fifty grams it reserved for non-starchy veggies only? I don't want to get kicked out of ketosis. Uh, well, um, depends, like if you like if you eat an entire like tablespoon of sugar uh, then your blood sugar is going to rise, your insulin is going to rise and you probably will get kicked out of ketosis for the short term. Uh, but if you were to like <laughs> like microdose the sugar uh, over the course of the entire day, like you take just one one milligram of sugar several times a day, then it probably is not going to have that big of an effect, uh, I think so, because, um, you know, your blood sugar fluctuates on a semi regular basis all that all the day uh, like your blood sugar problem arises if you take the stairs your blood sugar rises if you're like listening to music or something so like the uh, uh, the fluctuations themselves aren't um uh, th- that bad it, like what matters is like how how big the fluctuation is so if you take like a big dose of sugar all at once even if it's coming from like you know, healthy carb sources like berries or something, uh, then you probably will get kicked out of ketosis for the short term. Mm. But yeah, if you, if you have it like spread out, or if you ha- if you couple it together with some um, fiber or some proteins or fats that slow down the response, then it's not going to be that big of a deal. Um, and um, getting kicked out of ketosis um, for like a short while doesn't isn't like being in ketosis all the time. It shouldn't be the goal. Uh, And if you are like very metabolically flexible, then uh, you will probably get back into ketosis also faster James Brown with the super chat. Thank you, but no message. So if you have any question then that would be good Mm. Do you use activated charcoal doing during longer fasts how much? Uh, well, uh, yeah the Activated charcoal can be good for like, um, binding to toxins and preventing detox symptoms. and, um, certainly I do use it, um, on some days I don't use it all the time. And if I were to use it, then I would use it only in the fastest state Uh, because, um, you know, if you take it with food, then it will also bind to like the nutrients that you get from food. So you don't, you know, necessarily want that you want to do it only for when you're like fasting and you're like detoxing basically and preventing the detox symptoms. How much? Mm, I would say, like you don't, you know, it depends on, I don't know, like the milligram. I have like these tablets, basically, just small uh, charcoal tablets, uh, like these regular pharmacy ones. And um, I don't know exactly how how, mu- how how big the dose is for that, but I would take maybe like two, two, um, two tablets if I were too fast. Because there isn't like real There not like hard to tell like the optimal dose because it can be like uh it can it can be that uh, the um you know like charcoal itself it's i i think it's hard to like overdose it and and i think it's 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 not something that is linearly better the, the more you take it either What would be the best for high autophagy, 16 in it every day, or eating as you want, five days a week, and then a 24-hour fast, two days a week? Uh, Well, I think... um, Yeah, if you want, like, high autophagy in the... Just in the moment, um, in the short term, then, like, the longer you fast, the more autophagy you get in that moment. But... um, but what matters is also like, yeah, what you do afterwards. So if you're like eating crap or like you're never in esophagy uh, the rest of the time, then it doesn't really, it's not going to be worth it in, in, in some sense. Uh, so um, what you do on a regular basis, in my opinion, is a bit more important. And if you do like 16 and 8 all the time, then the like, requirement for doing these longer fasts is also smaller. So you don't need to be going for this longer fast if you're doing regular fasting all the time. Um, with that being said, like, 60 and eight compared to a 24-hour fast is also... There's not a huge difference between those things, I think. Uh, a 24-hour fast is still a pretty short fast. And... Um, it's not super, um, like... It's not it's not going to give you that much autophagy. So if you want to get, like, more autophagy, then you would do, maybe, like, a 48-hour fast. If you were to do, like, a... Like, a 48-hour fast instead of a 24-hour fast, then you would get, like, more autophagy, for sure. For sure. James Brown has a question with another super chat. Uh, can autophagy regenerate the hypothalamus? Uh, I don't think so. I haven't. I haven't seen anything uh, in regards to that uh, because, um, like, uh, to grow new tissue or grow organs or something, you need um, you need like anabolism. You need like growth, uh, which is governed by, you know mtor and um, protein synthesis and uh, that sort of thing. So you need to eat to uh, facilitate growth, and autophagy is the, is is more of uh, like the other side, which is more catabolic. It kind of breaks down and uh, recycles them. So I don't think uh, autophagy can you know regenerate hypo- the hypothalamus, uh, but it can have like a positive effect on the brain for sure. Like. Uh, you know, autophagy is involved in eliminating like the beta amyloid uh, plaque in the brain that accumulates uh, during neurodegeneration. And uh, yeah, it's uh, quite important actually for protecting against uh, that and pro- protecting against just the waste and toxic material that accumulates in the brain. So autophagy, regular autophagy may be beneficial for, um, you know, keeping the brain clean, so to say. and. Uh, Avoiding the accumulation of uh, junk material, which is uh, protective uh, against that. Mm. Does coffee consumption have any impact on autophagy effect during fasting? Uh, yes, um, coffee tends to boost autophagy, and uh, both the caffeine and the polyphenols do it. Mm. So yeah, it's uh, it's good for Tsavaji uh, and uh, definitely helps makes the fasting easier, and uh, yeah, I I do consume coffee when I'm fasting. Space Naniak Yak has a question. Any research on uh, spore-based probiotics? Um, yeah, the I think um, I ha- I'm not a huge. Um, like a probiotic expert and you know it's a very it's a very um like a not, not misunderstood but it's a very um, pandora's box i so to say that the there's so much to know yet and we don't know that much yet if that makes sense uh, so spore-based biotics uh, probiotics tend to be yeah, better uh, than regular probiotics uh, and uh what, what what whether or not which which strain you need or something it's all all comes down to your you know, unique microbiome in that particular moment, and um, which ones would you benefit from? So you need to maybe take like a microbiome test first to know what are your like, what what uh, strains are more predominant, and which ones do you need. So it's like just this carpet bomb approach where you just go in, uh, guns blazing, and just dropping dropping uh, all the different kinds of bacteria and probiotics in there is uh, probably not a good thing. So yeah, you need to kind of custom tailor it uh, to your uh, own gut first. Uh, yeah, but yeah, generally, sport, sport-based probiotics are uh, tend to be good. Uh, like the research does show, like you know, the gut is regulates inflammation and uh, the brain process and uh, digestion and even even things like um, even things like uh, your insulin sensitivity and um, you know how many calories you absorb from food and whether or not you become obese is all very tied to that. Uh, da-da. Hello, do you know of good sources of protein for vegetarians? Uh, well, if you mean vegetarians, then um, vegetarians who eat fish and seafood, I presume, and eggs. So if you're a vegetarian, then yeah, you can you can eat eggs and fish and uh, clams and uh, oysters, which are, you know, one of the best sources of protein and one of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet. So, yeah, you have nothing to worry about. So, those would be the best uh, food protein sources for vegetarians. Mm, but if you're a vegan who doesn't eat them, then um, then for them, um, legumes, beans, lentils, tofu, those are those are good ones. Or, like, you know, the, the only ones, basically. Because, yeah, like, you want... On any diet, you do want to get, like, the protein, uh, but you don't want to get, like, a substantial amount of calories with it, so to say. You don't want to be... If you try to get all the protein you need from uh, like just nuts or walnuts or almonds, then you're going to end up consuming so many calories that you probably gain weight from it. So that's not a good situation because, you know, the, the, um, potential bad health outcomes from gaining the weight and, uh, you know, causing metabolic metabolic issues from that is uh, not, not ideal. So getting like the lower calorie protein sources and then First, heating your protein uh, intake, and then uh, filling out the calorie calories with either carbs or fat is a, is the way to go, I think. Uh, but fortunately, yeah, like um, uh, for vegetarians, eggs and fish and uh, seafood is pretty low in calories compared to something like nuts. <laughs> uh, do you supplement with creatine and taurine? Uh, I don't do it. All the time, I haven't been taking creatine for like a few mo- weeks uh, at the moment, but um, usually I do take it like three to, five day, f- uh, three to five grams a day. And yeah, it's good for strength and explosiveness and muscle, uh, but also has it, it's a, like a methyl donor, which you know is important for methylation and uh, also has some like uh, cognitive benefits. Some research does show it. So, yeah, it's a generally a pretty good supplement and a very cheap one as well. It's a very, one of the most researched, um, you know, sports supplements out there. Uh, taurine. Uh, no, I don't uh, take taurine because um, I think I get it from foods. So, yeah. I have a problem with excessive mucus in my stool. What can be causing that? I eat only meat and dairy, but the cheese and eggs. Um, Well, it could be, could be, yeah, that like the dairy uh, causing like, you know, inflammation and um, you know, dairy tends to be uh, a mucus promoting food, uh, or if you're eating carbs as well, then uh, that can be a thing, so yeah, like uh, food sensitivities to look into. Maybe you're allergic to eggs or dairy. And uh, yeah, if you're eating like a bunch of carbs, then um, try to reduce them. Seem, do you have any explanation why total cholesterol and HDL rises doing fasting? Yeah. Well, there are some potential, several reasons for that. Like one of them being that um, uh, because you're also... When you're fasting you're burning fat mostly for fuel and um, you know the body carries cholesterol around in the same vessels as um, as triglycerides so if you're burning fat then the cholesterol does get transported out of the liver um, at a higher rate as a result of that as well because the body is burning fat for fuel Uh, and if the HDL is also high then it means that the cholesterol does get uh, uh, you know um, directed back to the liver as a result of that as well, which is the job of HDL to kinda uh, pr- lead the, the cholesterol back to the liver. Uh, so yeah, like if the HDL is high and your total cholesterol is also high when you're fasting, then that's probably what happens. And some other things that may happen, um, let's say outside of the fasting state would also be like hypothyroidism. If you are like low thyroid, then that, ha- that has been shown to um, raise cholesterol so if you're like um, getting hyperthyroid because of fasting, uh, your uh, thyroid function is suffering, uh, then uh, that can be ra- raising cholesterol and uh, also copper deficiency does it as well. So if you're not eating enough copper from like uh, liver or um, oysters, then uh, that can be a problem. Uh, any any opinion on acupuncture? Have you tried it? Yeah, I do. I have the acupuncture mattress, which is awesome, <laughs> really good, uh, relaxing, and uh, good for sleep, good for re- relaxation. A friend was recently diagnosed with hemochromatosis a mutation, which is tendency to iron overload. Any suggestion how to lower iron overload? Uh, well, iron overloads, yeah, you have to pay attention to uh, the uh, diet. So, you know, avoid, first of all, yeah, like you shouldn't take, like, any iron supplements, uh, which is, tends to be uh, prescribed to people who have symptoms of anemia, but it's uh, not a good thing because, uh, yeah, like, uh, usually people are getting enough iron from their diet, and uh, if they take a supplement, then that can just, you know, promote this um, iron overload and other bad outcomes that come from it, like increased cardiovascular disease risk and oxidative stress and uh, that sort of thing. So uh, yeah, instead of um, taking iron supplements, you would also make sure that you get enough copper because uh, copper and iron need to be in balance. So if you're getting too much iron, uh, but not enough copper, then um, that will lead to iron overload. So uh, reducing the iron content of your foods, like iron you get from uh, muscle meat, uh, you know, spinach, and that sort of thing, and you get uh, copper from uh, organ meats, uh, seafood, uh, some nuts, and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, fasting, fasting may help with uh, also lower iron a little bit, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's not it's not the most important thing to do. Uh, some iron chelators uh, are uh, coffee; is chelates iron? Uh, these teas. Will probably do that the same, and uh, these phytonutrients in beans and legumes can also chelate uh, iron. But I think the most important thing is the um, uh, avoiding iron supplements. <laughs> Liver versus oysters, which food is the most nutrient dense? Ooh, that's a tough, tough pick, <laughs> because uh, yeah, like I think. Uh, Liver and oysters are definitely like in the top three uh, of the most nutrient-dense foods in the world. Uh, so I would say that probably liver is more nutrient-dense. Um, oysters are oysters are, are good for like um, iodine and um, selenium, but liver has the minerals, but it also has more of the vitamins uh, like you know B12. So yeah, I think liver tends to be better a little bit. But liver doesn't have that much iodine, so you, you optimally you wouldn't want to get both. Mm. All right, Laurinus Binderis, with a super chat. What are benefits of a continuous glucose monitor? Uh, well, uh, a continuous glucose monitor is going to help you to basically look at your blood glucose in real time. Uh, all day, so you don't need to prick your finger every time you want to look at it. So most of these devices kind of uh, they store the information or the data on a, like a continuous fashion, so, so that you you can actually you can actually you know measure it and you can see what your blood sugar was like 30, min- 30 minutes ago or two hours ago. So that's that's the best best thing about it. Uh, so it's also very convenient, uh, very very effective and. Uh, just the data you get is pretty invaluable so you can actually see how your body responds to different kinds of foods and um, especially like carbs and things and maybe like some people don't even know that uh, that their blood sugar may rise when they eat something that they're allergic to so that's also like a pretty um, common thing like you're allergic to peanuts or uh, eggs or something and your blood sugar response is much more much more exacerbated because you're allergic to that food or you have like some some um, inflammatory response, so you can just know better how your body responds to different foods. So that's pretty good. I think uh, Like basically everyone should or could uh, do like a continuous glucose monitor experiment for like at least uh, two weeks. So usually yeah, the, the, they also last for like 14 days, I think. I did like a podcast with uh, NutriSense and yeah, I, I I think it's very good, very, very valuable. One of the best tracking devices that you can use. Maybe besides sleep, or like even maybe like the CGM would be probably more important than tracking your sleep. I think. Another super chat by LED. I know it is. I know it is said that IQ can't be improved, but I, I don't believe it. <laughs> to the best of your knowledge, what would what could be done to improve one's IQ if possible? Well, depends on like what kind of a test are you taking? <laughs> like uh, I would imagine that if you were to take the first test and see a particular result and take another test you would see a different result i'm pretty sure of that so yeah like the iq itself is just like a number and uh like how much practical value does it have in the real world is um i think it's arguable like you you don't necessarily need to have like a huge iq to like be successful or um do something good or something important or you know so it's a very like it depends yeah like what, what kind of um, actual measurements or outcome are you looking for um, if you were talking like what to improve what to do to improve your cognition or intelligence then I think the best thing for that is uh, you know just uh, reading a lot and uh, educating yourself and um, yeah just the continuous self-improvement in terms of um, education so like I think that even though you may you can definitely like, you know, teach it or increase it if you are educated and uh, like, you know, well versed in different topics, but, uh, you know, maybe specific like uh, universal cognition things uh, would be for like, maybe like like linguistics or something that can be because you and maths or physics, something uh, that is kind of, uh, you know, like a universal thing that isn't very field specific because you can be very good in like I don't know, history, uh, or very smart in history, but you don't have, like, this universal intelligence that requires you to, I don't know, think about the certain, like, problem-solving and those sort of things. You can teach yourself how to become a better problem-solver solver and better at languages and those things. So those one would be, like, the best things, I think. Languages, uh, maths, problem-solving, um, certainly, like... Uh, so sort of like, yeah, just uh, nutrient-dense foods, like, a lot of, like, uh, you know, in children, like iodine deficiency, for example, is causing uh, cretinism and uh, mental disorders and those things. So, yeah, eating a nutrient-dense diet is also important and getting enough sleep, of course. Uh, David N. Superchat, just wanted to say your channel has changed my life immensely for the better. Well, that's awesome. I've uh, been following OMAD for nine months now and the benefits are amazing. That's good. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. And uh, yeah, it's uh, omad is omad is quite 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 um, fun and convenient. I've been also doing it for um, a long time, <laughs> a long time now. And uh, yeah, it's uh, glad glad that it helped. Um, uh, what do you think about the potential negative side effects of long cold showers or anything of the sort? Talking about the side effects effects of too much norepinephrine. Yeah, like, definitely too much cold is uh, bad. And, um, like, for for men especially, like, too much cold has been shown to lower testosterone. And I think it's going to lower, like, thyroid functioning for everyone if you do it for too much. And, of course, it also, um, like, um, can cause, like, this um, uh, neuropathy. So, damages your fingers and uh, toes. So, yeah, you don't want to overdo it. Mm. All right, well, LED also subscribed, so thanks. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're gonna start wrapping things up. Uh, every, thanks for coming, everyone. And uh, yeah, it was it was a fun live stream. We're gonna do probably. I, I I'm actually gonna do another uh, like a Q and A with uh, James uh, Dr. James uh, as well next later 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 this week. Uh, I will either like do like the questions pulled from my Instagram or something. And We'll take the questions from there and then we'll record it or if I'm If I if I'll if I'll check it out um, Later then I may also do like the actual live stream on here So we'll see if, if I can figure it out how to do it But anyway, we'll we'll do like a QA and a with uh, dr. James as well So yeah, if you have any questions, then you can just send me an Instagram or something